Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I am now prepared to spend the first half of the winter where I am, subject to the bottom of the lane being still invisible when the leaves have fallen, which seems probable. I cannot be seen, and if I am careful, I cannot be heard. I avoid chopping wood and risk the noise of my billhook only on one night a week when I fill the inner chamber with brushwood and burn it. This dries out the whole den and gives me a layer of hot ashes, on which I can grill at one time whatever store of meat I have. My dry and tinned food is sufficient, for I have been living largely on the country. There are cobnuts, sloes and blackberries at my door, and from time to time I extract a bowl of milk from a red cow. I didn't realise you milked a cow. Yeah, red cow. Welcome back to the Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that is curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books, presented by me, Tim Wright, and you, Lloyd Shepherd. Yeah, I'm Lloyd Shepherd. I'm sitting on the eastern edge of the said entry in uh, our book of this episode, Rogue Mail, by Geoffrey Household. We are not recording this in a studio. No. We are out in the wilds, the in the way... Inside a dark and tree-lined vale or lane, a holloway, if you will, Dorset style, uh, and we're sitting on the side of this uh, holloway. We're not going to tell you where it is yet because we want to leave that to the end. But we will be revealing where we are at the end of this part two of our episode. Yes, this book is about a rogue male, an anonymous narrator, who in the first part of this book, if you listen to part one. He goes to Germany, well, we think it's Germany, and he attempts to assassinate Hitler, or at least we think it's Hitler. He fails. He's tortured by the Gestapo stroke SS. If we think it's the Gestapo. If we think it's the Gestapo, the SS. But he manages to escape and somehow gets on a river right across Germany and out to the North Sea. Not clear how he does that. Gets on a boat there and manages to get to London, where he might think he was safe. But, oh, no, he's not safe. Because they pursue him, because he's a political pawn in a bigger game, is he not? And therefore, 
he is surrounded by secret agents wherever he looks. So well, he's a, German agents, if it is Germany. Yeah. So he kills one of them in London. Yes. And now he's not just being pursued by the German agents, he's also being pursued by the British police. Yes. So he now he's on the run. Yeah. And then he has to think, where is it I should go where I can completely disappear? And he's got and somewhere no in mind. No one ever find me. He's got somewhere very specific in mind because he's been there this place yes with his girlfriend who was executed his fiance his fiance who was executed by the germans if it is the germans so one of the debates about this book is that he describes hiding away for months on end in this dorset holloway digging himself into a little burrow so he's like a little mole man quite a big mole man (laughs) until he is actually is tracked down by the Germans, led by a, a man called Major Quive Smith, yeah. who then traps him in his burrow, and there's a standoff. So it's quite a bizarre story, actually. Yeah. But in terms of the landscape, the Dorset countryside is spectacular, and we're going to take you there. We are. Where um, are we starting? We're going to start... What he did was that he gets out of Wimbledon Common, and he takes off, and he gets to Dorchester. Mm. So that's what we need to do. Get the hell to Dorchester. Strolling as far as the Roman amphitheatre, I lay on the outer grass slope to watch the traffic on the Weymouth Road and hope for an idea. The troops of cyclists interested me. I hadn't ridden a cycle since I was a boy and had forgotten its possibilities. These holiday makers carried enough gear on their backs and mudguards to last a week or two, but I didn't see how I could balance my own camping outfit on a bike. I waited for an hour and along came the very vehicle I wanted. I have since noticed that they are quite common on the roads, but this was the first time I had seen. A tandem bicycle it was, with Pa and Ma riding, and the baby slung alongside in a little sidecar. I should never have dared to carry any offspring of mine in a contraption like that. But I must admit that for a young couple with no nerves and little money, it was a sensible way of taking a holiday. I stood up and yelled at them, pointing frantically at nothing in particular. He likes to be noticed. Or not. We're staring at the slope. The very slope he's sitting on, between the Mornbury Ring, the Mornbury Ring as I should say, and the Weymouth Road in Dorchester. I was initially sceptical about this, thinking that if you're in the Mornbury Rings, you don't see the road, but actually on the outside. He's careful to say he's on the outside. He's careful to say he's on the outside. Then you can. Now, we've been here before. We have been here before. I think this is the first time we've revisited a location for a, a, reset. It's good for to, a it's, different book. It's good because it's joining up the, the universe, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're not going to talk a lot about the Mornbury Rings now, because if you want to find out about them in detail, yeah. you should go and uh, listen to our Mayor of Casterbridge episode, which we talked about it a lot, because a key scene in that book takes Very part in the Mornbury yeah. Rings. Absolutely. It's quite a thing, isn't it? It really is. The thing he hasn't noticed, of course, oh, yes. which we only noticed when we came here, walking up from the car park, is that the Mornbury Rings is right bang next door to Dorchester Police Station. That's what I was saying. If you stand up and shout and wave your arms, hello, hello, <laughs> I'm a man on the run who's a suspected murderer. Hello, yeah. hello. Next to the police Next station. Next to the police station. I feel that the Dorset police aren't doing their job very well. No, it's quite... They're, they're supposedly hunting for him high and low and he turns out to be sitting right next door. Now, this question of the sidecar... Oh, yes. The child's sidecar. The tandem car, and the sidecar. 
So I was thinking, ah, well, this, he said, oh, there's many on the road, but I haven't seen that many. And I was thinking, ah, this is an opportunity for dating as to whether they were around in that day and how prevalent were they. Well, they were quite prevalent. I found on the online bicyclemuseum.co.uk website, excellent I find, which I recommend to you, is the 1930s Watsonian pedal car. And it has a, a sidecar. And this, uh, this man, Watson, was a great inventor of these things. Just before World War I, he started, but then he really got going after the war in the 20s. Now, in the book, it talks about this enterprising young man. Yeah. He recognised him, and he, and he built this thing, the, the guy, and he, he says he's from Leicester. But he's not. If he's Watson, he's from Birmingham. Right. These things came out of Birmingham. On the site, there's a very good advert for the child sidecar, a useful novelty, exclamation mark. But also, there is also the, the tandem one is made by BSA. They were so popular, they had started having rivals, and there were quite a few manufacturers, but the Watsonian sidecar is the classic. I think the guy's lying about making it himself. I think he just bought one. On oldbike.wordpress.com, there's a fantastic picture here of a 1937 BSA tandem outfit. So this is exactly what it would have been. It's got a tandem and it, it also has a Watsonian child sidecar stuck to it. 1936, it was the most expensive machine that you could buy from BSA, priced £17.06, shillings, compared to an Opperman special, which was £10.17.6d. Shillings I wonder what that would compare to a car, though, at that time, right? Because that's presumably why people were buying them, because it's they were... Well, I can tell you, it says a new motorcycle combination would set you back about £70. The cheapest fully equipped new car in 1936 was the Ford Model Y, two-door saloon, at £100. So it's £83 more than this tandem. So it's 20% of the price of a car. Yeah. I wonder if Geoffrey Household at that stage was quite across the biking revolution in the he spent a lot of years outside the uk maybe he didn't realize that these things were widely available i'm starting to see him as a man who when he's sitting by the thames sees a steamer on one side and thinks oh that'd ah. be a good boat to have in my story even though it's highly implausible it would ever be there yeah and that he's sitting around somewhere and he says that bike that's that would be quite good to have my story even though it's highly implausible that it yeah. should be there yeah. he's one of these spotters of things yeah. that he thinks might be good for his story yeah I think that's probably Without true. thinking it through, as he should do. <laughs> so where does he go from here? He is off on his bike, and in a very roundabout way, he's going to end up in his little hidey hole in Dorset. Oh. So this is one of the great puzzles of the book, is where is his little hidey hole in Dorset? Yeah. Are you going to tell me? I'm going to take you there. It's hard to talk about 1939 without starting to talk about the war. Uh, we've kind of had this before with the Patrick Hamilton novel, haven't we, mm -hmm. about that that starts in the war, and that 1913 seems to be clouded by that. It but does. we like to give some context for uh, when the book comes out into the world and when Rogue Mail appeared and what the world was like. Yeah. And I, personally, I've tried to avoid the war. Well, I just think if you're looking at the events, particularly in the United Kingdom, the events, you know, news starts to happen quite a lot, you know, from around April, May. Yeah. They were getting ready. 
Yes. They're getting ready already. So that air it. of paranoia in this book about Germans is absolutely and all right. that stuff is obviously yeah. right yeah. and is, is happening. There's quite a lot of things going on that weren't related to the war. Yes. In, in fact, the IRA were active. They, they actually bombed two London underground stations ah. on, in February. On the Piccadilly line, which uh, is the One of them on the Piccadilly. Tottenham Corrode and Leicester Square. So Leicester Square is on the Piccadilly line. So, yes, you think yeah. that was shut down? A bit of prefiguring there. Okay. I, I started to find a bit of a theme... Yeah. about missing people, about people going missing. The person I'm most impressed by, and I feel like he would be at the top table of the Curiously Specific book club in my eyes, is Richard Halliburton. He died in the Pacific Ocean in March 1939. He's a travel writer and journalist. But how did he die? Basically, what he liked to do was he liked to do what we do, which is he likes to take classic <laughs> well, it's, books. But it's very dangerous, Tim. But he likes to do the really dangerous ones, right? <laughs> yeah. He decided that he was going to sail a Chinese junk across the Pacific Ocean to San Francisco to prove that you could sail a Chinese junk across the Pacific Ocean right. to San Francisco. This is a, a British man. <laughs> no, he's American. Oh, OK. But sadly, he didn't make it. No. As with Amelia Earhart, many rumours and reports of Halliburton's fate continue to rise over the years, with fans hoping he might yet turn up alive. But look, this guy, so the kind of books that he did, he published The Glorious Adventure, in which he retraced Ulysses' adventures through the classical Greek world as recounted in Homer's Odyssey. Well, He published New Worlds to Conquer in 1921, in which he recounted his famous swim down the Panama Canal. New Worlds to Conquer was the title of my English language primer at infant school. Ah. New Worlds to Conquer. There you are. So this is where you are the inheritor of Halliburton's spirit, aren't you? Well, I kind of think I am. Yeah, I can see that. So presumably you might have done the retracing of the track of Cortez's conquest of Mexico and also, in full goatskin costume, have cast yourself away on an island to to reenact Robinson Crusoe. Well, I thought about it, but I couldn't get anyone to dog sit. <laughs> so he's one of us, but he's full on. Okay. He's absolutely full on. So this is the Richard Halliburton tribute podcast we're doing here. Well, here, his father dismissed him, saying that <laughs> of he... Course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Fathers. He said he needed to get Wanderlust out of his system. <laughs> get a proper job. Yeah. And he replied in his correspondence, he said, I hate that expression, Wanderlust. And as far as I'm able, I intend to avoid that condition. When impulse and spontaneity fail to make my way uneven, then I shall sit up nights inventing means of making my life as conglomerate and vivid as possible. And when my time comes to die, I'll be able to die happy, for I will have done and seen and heard and experienced all the joy, pain and thrills, any emotion that any human ever had, and I'll be especially happy if I'm spared a stupid common death in bed. Wow. Conglomerate and vivid. Well, fair. Well, hurrah to that. He's he's in the club. He's in the club. Extraordinary year for books and films. Yes, we have got we've got Finnegan's Wake. Yes, The Grapes of Wrath. Very good. Day of the Locust. The Big Sleep. It's extraordinary. Anne of Green Gables. Goodbye to Berlin. Tropic of Capricorn. The Mask of Demetrios, you like that one? Well, that's by Eric Ambler, and it's another great chase novel. It's also quite a good film, but I think Eric Ambler, if you were going to do a Halliburton proper job of Curiously Specific, where you travelled right around the world in time to the book, that would be one of the ones I'd do. It's an amazing year for books. Both Asimov and Heinlein had their first short stories published that year. Well, yeah. 
So, so he's a sci-fi man, a, wasn't he? So a, I think he would have noticed the, uh, that, don't you think? And in films, yeah, you've got Gone with the Wind, Wuthering Heights, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, The Wizard of Oz, which I thought came out in 1940, but ah. apparently came out in 39 in the States. Yeah, uh, The Roaring Twenties of Mice and Men, Hands of the Baskervilles, Stagecoach, Hands of the Baskervilles, yeah. Only Angels Have Wings, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Did you know that Batman first appeared that year? Did he? Yeah, and Captain Marvel. Wow. You're talking about big male macho people, yeah. don't you think? Yeah, well, Captain Marvel's currently a woman, so... Oh, well, even better. <laughs> uh, why not? And um, the other novel you missed out, of course, is the very famous Gadsby. Gadsby. I was telling you about this you yesterday. You were telling me about Gadsby. Because I was saying to you, if you needed a challenge for your new novel writing, which you need to do... Well, you need to drop yourself an E and then read Gadsby, right? Yeah, Gadsby is one of the that great... That's quite a good joke. I like the way I ignore your jokes. No, I'm going to carry on ignoring your okay, jokes. Fine. I like doing that. Gadsby is one of the great works of Ulipo, where you, you give yourself a difficulty in the a writing. A stupid rule. A stupid you say rule. difficulty, I say a stupid rule. A stupid rule. And the stupid rule of this one is that it, there's no use of the letter E yeah. in, throughout the whole novel. Yeah. That's going to make Rogue Mail quite difficult, isn't it? Because it's going to be... <laughs> to change the title. It's going to be Rogu Mal. Change the title first. Rogu Mal. In writing such a story, purposely avoiding all words containing the vowel E, there are a great many difficulties. The greatest of these is met in the past tense of verbs, almost all of which end with ED. Therefore, substitutes must be found, and they are very few. This will cause, at times, a somewhat monotonous use of such words as said, for neither replied, answered, nor asked can be used. Another difficulty comes with the elimination of the common couplet en, of course, and its very common connective. Consequently, which will unavoidably cause bumpy spots. The numerals also cause plenty of trouble, for none between 6 and 30 are available. When introducing young ladies into the story, this is a real barrier, for what young woman wants to have it known that she is over 30? And this restriction on numbers, of course, taboos all mention of dates. The downs on both sides of the Siddling Valley were country after my own heart, patches of gorse and patches of woodland connected by straggling hedges which gave me cover from the occasional shepherd or farmer but were not thick enough to compel me to climb them. I assumed that all high ground had been picketed and reckoned, unnecessarily I expect, on field glasses as well as eyes. The glade smelt of fox, turf and rabbit, the sweet musk that lingers in dry valleys where the dew is heavy and the water flows a few feet underground, the only signs of humanity were two ruined cottages, some bundles of cut hazel rods and a few cartridge cases scattered about the turf. We are sitting under some rather nice beech trees, yes. looking out over the Siddling Valley. Sidling, isn't it? Sidling, S-Y-D-L-I-G-I-N-G, I've got no idea. Now, the Sidling Valley description is very good because I'm looking across at it right now and there is indeed these little clumps of trees and then plain grass and possibly gorse. I can't quite see that. But it's it's spot on, isn't it? It's very manicured, doesn't it? So he climbs up the valley, up through these fields, up towards this copse of beech trees. And uh, like us, what does he find when he gets here? Cottages. Roofless cottages. They're being done up. 
It's going to be rather nice when it's finished. Well, they're, they're solid walls, solid masonry walls. Yeah. One of them's roofless. The other one's got a kind of looks like a temporary. Oh, it's now it's a corrugated iron roof, isn't it? That's been added. Yes. Just to keep the rain off. Yes. This is exactly the place, Tim. You've brought me to the very place where he was thinking of. I'm convinced of it. It's weird, right? Well, not only does it look right, there's also the very telling signal about the cartridge cases. The cartridge cases. Which is actually why you found this place, right? Well, I did, yes. So tonight we'll be staying at the George Albert Hotel. I wanted to stay here because I had a hunch we would be quite near. What is What we're, what we're referring to here is the false hiding place. This is the hiding place he, he's spotted in Lyme Regis. Yeah. And through a complicated series of manoeuvres involving buses and lorries, etc., he goes back to Dorchester and then comes back up here, legs it up the, the Siddling Valley and the Froome Valley and comes up here to deliberately leave a false trail, right? It, yes. Interesting enough, the reason the hotel is there is there's a go-kart track, apparently quite well known. But more importantly, there's a massive gun club. Oh, Right. Massive gun club. Okay, it's one of the biggest in. The, there's a gun shop there where you can buy all kinds of guns. So tonight you could go and buy a gun. Well, believe me, I thought about it a few times when we've been out on these uh, road trips. So, uh, do so we think that 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 gun club or gun shop or both were there in the 1930s? It feels like there's always been some kind of country club and a gun club. It's well, they have international tournaments there for for shotgun shooting. Right. Apparently, the the event they have here is second only to the Olympics and the the Worlds. Up here? Yeah, they've had it here. If, I can't tell you how much this feels like a very unlikely location for an international sporting tournament. Well, well I suppose these places do feel like that when the tournament's not on. Yeah. There's hardly anyone here. It's very, very devoid of humanity. Well, what was obviously very upsetting for the Olympic sportsmen for, for a number of years was that there was a nightclub up there as well oh. called the Pelican Nightclub. Alas, it's not there. We won't be going to the Pelican The Pelican nightclub. sounds fun. Well, it was an all-night rave scene. Oh, uh-huh, come on. We could relive the 90s. Well, this is even the noughties, I may, I'm telling you. It says here that the owners of the country club at Warden Hill, which is this hill here, they want permission to open right through the night. And there was a barrage of complaints, particularly from the Clay Pigeon Raceway and Gun Club. It says in 2001, they've already had problems. One guy died after taking drugs at the Pelican nightclub and collapsed naked in a field nearby. Which field would that be? We'd like to come across a skeleton. It's an obvious from the tragedy says Mr Renison of, of the gun club, that uh, youngsters high on drugs wander about the area. And he said that la- last year one of their cart race meetings was delayed because they were attending to a young man who'd overdosed at the nightclub. And they say that competitors at the ground, which regularly plays host to British and European Olympic teams for shooting, have been disturbed by noise and abused by revellers leaving the club. So they've had to employ extra staff to hunt down all the people who are walking around the shooting grounds. So they're coming out, so they've gone in on a Saturday night for an all-night rave. Yeah. They've emerged blinking into the sunlight at 10 o'clock in the morning yeah. <laughs> and are wandering around the shooting. <laughs> <laughs> and no one with a gun was ever tempted to go, should we bag a couple? I, I wish that had been happening in the 30s. <laughs> and that, that was the scene when he wakes up here, there's a few ravers. This is a note for uh, Benedict Cumberpatch because apparently he's thinking of making. Apparently he's mail. got the rights. This yeah. is a note: is that if he wants to update this story, his false lair should be a burnt-out cafe 
and a and a, and and a, burnt a out nightclub and a nightclub full of druggies. Yeah. And in the morning, several people should be running around here naked. Absolutely, that would certainly modernise it. <laughs> I think so. I like it. There'd be several rogue males. Why then my strong resistance to coming to this lane? I take it that I showed a resistance since I refused to admit to myself that this was my destination until I was within 20 miles of it and that though the double hedge was an excellent hiding place which I was eager to reach, well I suppose I wished to save myself pain. But I cannot even remember her face except that her eyes appeared violet against the tawny skin and that I know to be a trick of memory, for I have often looked for violet eyes in man, woman, and never seen them. I repeat, I was never in love. The proof of it is that I so calmly accepted the destruction of my happiness. I was prepared for it. I begged her to stay in England, or at least, if she felt it her duty to return, to temper her politics with discretion. But when I heard that she was dead, I really suffered very little. It's good that because he's lying to himself, right? He's lying to himself. He's really lying to himself. His main motivation for this whole situation is that he was in love. He was in love. But he's too and his tough. love was taken away from him. He's too tough to admit it. That's right. Public school training. Public school training. So what year are we talking about? We've already, we've already sort of suggested to you that there's a little bit of ambiguity in the book about who he's actually shooting at because he never names the person he's shooting at. That's right. So all we know is that he's shooting at somebody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that that somebody is at the top of some kind of state apparatus that is coercive and totalitarian in some way. Yes, and is responsible, has signed off the arrest and execution of his, his love. His lover. And his, she says that he, he came to the Holloway that he's looking for, his hiding place, yeah. with her yeah. in the spring of that year. Now, so there's nothing in the book. If you were to take the book out of time and just read it straight, it's quite hard to. There's know nothing what in year. the book that would tell you what year it was. No, there? there's nothing at all. There's no clues. I have to say, the person who's ruined this is Jeffrey Household <laughs> by writing <laughs> by writing Rogue Justice. Rogue Justice, which is he's so plonkingly written out the backstory, yeah, that it's quite annoying. You, it, it loses some of its. Um, Power from yeah. being yeah. sort of timeless in place. I, I shouldn't say that as a member of the Curiosity Pacific book club, but I feel he's been too specific in that book. In well, Rogue it's, clear, it's clearly an artistic choice in Rogue Mail, right, to make it ambiguous, particularly when you think it's published in September 1939. Yeah. To write a book where there's an assassination attempt going on and an unnamed European leader is actually quite a ballsy move and quite interesting in itself. Yes, it is. It is. But I think we've got to say it's 1938. Yes. Household wants it to be. And the reason I've read out that passage about his girlfriend, his fiance, and her going back is that in the spring of 38 chimes absolutely with the Anschluss of Austria. Yeah. And that she's Austrian. And she goes back to Austria to sort of stand up for democratic politics at mm-hmm. a point where Austria is deciding whether it's going to let Germany in or not. Yeah. And Austria becomes the Ostmark of the Greater Reich. So that's in spring of 1938. Mm. I would then say, if we say it's 38, we start to get quite a few clues in the text. Mm. Because he does say that he is caught on a Saturday 
trying to kill Hitler, if it is Hitler. Yeah. And he escapes on the Sunday. And later in the book, he says it was the first week of August. So that tells me that he tried to kill Hitler on the 6th of August, 1938. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. That's why we do this podcast. The 6th of August, 1938. (laughs) That's when he's in Germany. Is when Raymond tries to shoot Hitler. (laughs) Raymond shoots Hitler. That was the working title of of the book, I believe. So was Hitler at the Berchtesgaden? In August 1938. I'm happy to report that by looking through www.hitler-archive.com, which I I hope nobody knows I've been to, used with care, that he was indeed on the 5th and 6th of August. He was there, and there's even a photograph of him where he is meeting, and get this, he is meeting General Sir Ian Hamilton, founding member and Vice President of the Anglo-German Association. Uh, we talked about the Anglo-German Association in our Remains of the Day podcast. That's right. So when, when he's putting telescopic sights yeah. on the veranda... He could have, he could have taken around. out a, uh, a British general. That General Sin would have been on the balcony with Hitler. <laughs> That's a great detail. Very good. Like, but the book could have ended very, very differently. Well, Maybe that's why they're all after him. Maybe he did shoot the general. Yeah, but don't you think that's part of his motivation? That he's that there's there's people of his own class in Britain. He says he says in the book, I could have walked up to the house, and they probably would have invited me in for lunch because he probably knows him. He probably knows they probably him. went shooting together in yeah. Africa. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. That doubt. On the hot morning that Roger and I set off in pursuit of rogue mail, the path we followed up into the half-moon of hills was clearly the beginnings of an ancient sunken lane cut down ten feet or more into the orange sandstone of the area. We were excited 
Had we discovered the Holloway already? Soon the lane deepened and thickened with shoulder-high nettles. Blackthorn and hawthorn grew out into it, blocking easy passage. There were big coiled strongholds of bramble, and above our heads the trees that hedged the lane, oak, holly, ash, sycamore, meshed with one another to form an interlocking canopy, turning lane into tunnel. Surely this was the place. Surely this was the place. Surely this was the place. Well, he goes on to say, this is uh, Robert McFarlane writing in the introduction to Rogue Mail, which is a a bridged version, you were telling me, of a a longer essay he wrote about Mm. looking for the Rogue Mail protagonist's hidey hole. He goes on to say, it took us a couple of hours to realise what we should have anticipated from the start, that Household had laid a false trail. Certain details corresponded perfectly. In other respects, however, the book frustratingly refused to match the real world. Housewold's Holloway ran northwards and downhill into the Marshwood Vale, but ours ran uphill on the south slope of the ridge. And, uh, well, then it's wrong. <laughs> well, discrepancies persisted. Only late on did we realise that this was wholly in keeping with the novel. Household had smartly disguised his book's geographical secret, oh, even he? as he appeared to give it away. Oh, has We he? had been thrown off the scent, and that was itself a kind of teaching. Well. Well. <laughs> well, OK, so we should say, what, say where we are. OK, well, we are, we, 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 we parked up at Simmonsbury. Simmonsbury, which he doesn't mention. No, I bet he stayed there. His little, his little, he, he basically implies that he camped out in the wild. Yeah. But there's rather a nice village with some residential cottages just at the bottom of the bar. <laughs> we're, pro- we're maybe doing him a disservice there. Look, there's plenty of people walking around. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? This is no good as a hiding place because there's loads of people walking up and down. <laughs> it's too near the village. It's rubbish. It's too near the village. It, yeah, and you go up Shoots Lane. You go up Shoots Lane. And then you turn left and you're on... I think he came the other way. I came uphill from what is called Hell's Lane, yes. which is a good name. It's a good name. He's hiding in Hell's Lane. So we walked into Hell's Lane and, you know, his description of the lane is is in most respects very accurate. It is it is incredibly impressive when you walk in yeah. to a tunnel of trees. You've got orange sandstone underfoot. I can't really believe it was covered in brambles and you couldn't walk through it. Uh, These well, are fairly well-established walking ways, aren't they? Well, this one is. That's the point, isn't it? Yeah. There are there are many of them around here because there's so much sort of sandstone. So you don't think he was in here, McFarlane? Oh, yes, I think he was in here. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But that's what I'm saying. It's not covered in brambles. It's very yeah. well-tended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So... <laughs> But we did we we did walk past. He also a, claims at some point to have a sail down, do down the side. Well, once one side of where we're sitting is very high. It's probably why would you do that? It's probably ten or twelve feet up there, and there are rather large holes under the trees. There which are. You could a man could hide in there. A man could hide in there. A man could lie low for weeks. Yeah, um, so it's got good vibes. But tell me why you think Robert McFarlane has got it wrong. Well, he admits he's got it no, wrong. No, he says he hasn't got it wrong. He's saying that Jeffrey Household is not curiously specific, that he's yeah. making things up. And w- yeah. what we've got to do is is prove him wrong and all, say, no, all, that, all right. or, that Household is specific. You just didn't walk far enough. Yeah. You gave up too easily. Because the, the key thing is it, the protagonist says he can look down into Marshwood Vale. That's right. right. Uh, and he says the path runs northwards mm-hmm. and then down into Marshwood Vale. That's right. So he's approaching the Vale from the south. 
right? Yes, that's for, right. He's got to be looking at it from the south that's of the right. Vale. That's, that's right. That's to be true. Now, the thing I, that strikes me being here is that my father didn't walk far enough. No. You know, because we're only halfway up the hill, the ridge, that would on the other side of which would be Marshwood Vale, yes. right? Yeah. That's kind of what my, well, my not very strong geography instinct would tell me. I, I feel what happened with my father was he got so engaged in the description of the Holloway itself mm-hmm. and how it should look and feel that he didn't really bother looking at the sections about before, how he got there, and after of what he saw when he looked over the edge. The protagonist. Yeah, so I think he's taken a few paragraphs of that initial, I've found a place, and then he's tried to match it from there, rather than doing what we do, which is thinking about the whole text and how you get to it and then how you leave it and what hap- you know, and where you're looking at any one time. Yeah. That's what you need to do. Now, there are some other people who have done similar things to us. We'll be, we'll, be, we'll be trying out some of their routes as well. Why not? Okay. As you say, we might all be wrong. We yeah. might all be wrong. If you, By the way, if you want to come and walk here, listener, I can recommend the blackmoorvale.co.uk website. It has a rather great map and walk of the spectacular Hell Lane walk. It's a nine-mile figure of eight walk to to go around these. So if you just want to come and have a lovely Holloway walk, that's probably the one to do. We're doing nine miles, are we? <laughs> are we doing nine miles? <laughs> I've got you here now. Oh, God. It's too late. Oh, God. <laughs> Holloway. The Holloway. The route harrowed into the hill by years of wheel run, hoof hit, footfall and rain run. Holloways are the habits of a landscape, and so too are the greenways, the causeways, the driftways, the lees, the fearways, the whiteways, the corpseways, and the ghostways. So we draw ever closer to the big reveal, our candidate for the location of the protagonist's hideaway. But before we do that, we want to rate the book. We like to rate things. Yes. We like things to be clearly rated and itemised on this podcast. It needs marks. It needs marks. Out of ten. If it's not marked, it's not real. We give two marks. We give a mark for artistic merit. Yes. Has the writer done a good job writing his book? Well done, sir. Or her book. We also give a Q-spec rating for how seriously and creatively the writer has taken the matter of dates and locations in their book. Yeah. So, uh, what should we do first? Well, I think, given what you've just heard, listener, from me talking about dating, I'd like to start with Q-spec rating. Yes. Because in terms of dating, I think it's strong. I think he's done a very good job. Very, very strong. No slip-ups. No slip-ups, as far as I can tell. And then in terms of locations, he's done very well as well, I'd say. Well, you've done very well as well. You know, finding places like the cottage, Mm -hmm. which was actually mind-blowing to find that out (laughs) Out at the top of that hill, and to find this place, which we shall come on to shortly. Yeah, I think it's quite a, brilliant by him and brilliant by you, if I might, if I may say so. And then also the the chase through Holborn Underground. Oh, that just worked, worked very well. We yeah. had a moment where we were in the wrong tunnel and people were coming towards us, loads of luggage and yeah. stuff that slowed us. But it was just absolutely right for yeah. the book, wasn't it? They weren't happy, were they? No, quite they a lot tutting. No, but. They didn't know they were in a reenactment of Rogue Mail. <laughs> to be fair. If we told them that, they might have been pleased. <laughs> Quite a lot of tourists going, Rogue Mail? Coming through, Rogue Mail. Any Germans through? in today? Uh, yeah, so uh, so what are you going to say? 
I'm intrigued now that you've said all that. Can you, can, you, can you give him any less than a 10? Can I give him any less than a 10? Do you know what? I don't think I can. I don't think I can either. I, I don't think see I have how, to I give him a 10. I don't see how I can or how I would. And I suppose the cherry on the cake is, as we were wandering around here, I was thinking, oh, maybe McFarlane and others are right, mm. that it's not a real place. Mm. It's just an amalgam of all the Holloways around here, but mm. an imagined one of a particular kind, and it's deliberately elusive mm. so that you can't find it. Mm. But then we found it. Then I think we found it. <laughs> we did, we did. So he has to have a tent. I am slightly going back on myself. I think there is one thing he gets that's a bit off, and that's the escape from Germany. Oh, yes. So I don't see how anyone can yes. float down river from southeast Germany all the way out into the North Sea. Oh, oh yes, I'd forgotten that. Through Germany. So I'm going to take a point off for that and give, well, him, I, a, I give think, him a nine. OK, I'm going to do the same. because Actually, mainly because I also am quite annoyed that he thinks he can get a boat up to Wandsworth and get under all those bridges. Because <laughs> he can't. <laughs> all right, are we going there to eight, then? No, that, no, no it's, it's part of his yeah, it's part the of river his bit. The, he's the, 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 he's the, a land man. He's, he's not a water man. <laughs> I think it's fair to say. Because he's, he's a big game hunter, he's about... He's yeah. about the, he's about the soil. He's not. He's not. He's not a, about the sea. He's not an angler, is he? He's a no. He's, a he's not a water person. He's a shooter. So right. Oh, so two nines. Two nines. Is two good. nines. Okay. So now we get to artistic. artistic artistic achievement. Yes. What do you want to say about that? Well, I want to say the book is very good. Mm. It still stands up beautifully well. It's got a. It's got. It's very much its own style. I don't think I've ever read anything quite like it. It's quite unique. Yeah. The descriptions are, as you say, some of the nature writing is gorgeous. As I say, I think it's better than any Fleming I've read. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm going to give him a nine again. Are you really that high? I think I'm going to go high, yeah. Why yeah. not? But I suppose the other thing about it is it's a, it's a very peculiar book. It is very odd, isn't it's it? It's unique. It, it's, very, it's got its own particular voice. It's a very odd plot. The whole situation of a man burying himself in a little cave and then the whole conversation between... Quive Smith outside saying, if you come out, I can let you go if you sign a letter or I'll kill you. Mm -hmm. And him inside, busily making some catapult ready Mm -hmm. to escape out of it, is completely bonkers. Mm. But you you go with it because you're in his world and the logic of the novel means you go with it. But really, at the end of it all, it is quite weird. Yeah. So I'm giving him an eight. Oh, right. So that's a nine and an eight from me. And then two no, nines no. from me. Yeah. So 35 points. That's very high, isn't it? Well done, Mr. Halsall. So he is, again, he's at the top table there. He's at the top table. With... But no, but he's probably under the table <laughs> because he's worried about anyone finding it's him. It's quite weird that you've got Sarah Waters <laughs> surrounded by Le Carre household. <laughs> Hines. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I'm starting to feel sorry for her. Yeah, I'm sure, but also, I quite that's that's this podcast, right? That's very good. So uh, well done. I feel she'd leave the dinner early. I think she probably would. God, they do go on, don't they? These guys. <laughs> We're coming to the time when we uh, the big reveal. We have to do the big reveal. We have to be, do the big reveal. Yes. So do you want a, a little musical interlude before we get there, or do you want to go straight into it? No, I'm hoping. That I'm going to play a bit of Glenn Miller okay. music just to change the change the atmos. Okay, all right. Well, um, uh, stay with us because the big reveal is on its way.
We've done our best to honour other people's contributions towards trying to find them, and they, they have their strengths and weaknesses. I, I'm not saying we're 100% right in, in what we've done, but I feel like we've got a very good candidate here. Well, you're not going to say that. I'm going to say we are 100% right and everyone else is wrong. OK. So if we can play those two roles. OK, fair enough. That's fine. <laughs> I thought that the minute we walked in here. Did you? Yeah. So we we followed... The, um, the important thing about that little piece is that the certain elements of this hiding space that are not to do with the, the actual Holloway itself, more to do with what's around it. Yeah. So there's some facts that he can't avoid. He walks down into a valley and up the other side to get here. That's point one. Yeah. Point two, it's running downwards into the Marshwood Vale. Yeah. Point two. Yeah. Point three, it's running north to south because he talks about it having an east side and a west side. Yes. On point four, you should be able to see to the north and to the west if you climbed up a tree from yep. the uh, alongside of the bank. That's right. And this is the only place we've been that meets all those criteria. I think that's true. I think that the other candidate at Denhay, at Lower Denhay, walking up from there, might be possible, apart from, as I say, it doesn't have as good a view of the Marshwood Vale and the comings and goings of the Marshwood Vale, which is very important to the writer. And you don't walk up and out of a valley to get there? No, I think that's the one thing, is that if you go down the valley and then you come back up northwards, you've got to be on the western side of those hills not the eastern side yeah so what we did listener just in case i've got me the os map out here it starts to rain properly oh yeah it's really good we are we're still in our hideaway and we're still dry because it's so dry it's so covered in leaves so i think what we all agree is that the narrator comes into this place from monarch's way which is a big pathway yeah coming over from beaminster right and if you do that you do get up onto the eastern ridge and you do get very near Hell's Lane and Quarry's Cross and all yeah. that stuff there, right? But if you've got to then go down into that valley, into the farmland down there, which we did, where there's the village of North Chidiuk is in the south, but there's a number of farms to the north of that, mm. you have to go down and probably through one of those farms, I think. Well, he says a crossroads, isn't he? Yeah, now the crossroads we found that we think is the most viable for that is where Venn Farm is, V-E-N-N. You come down off the hill, you, you do could, go... You could come down off the hill via Hell's Lane. You could, you'd go down striking. into... You'd be in North Chidiok then. So when he talks about going down through a dark tunnel, yes. that could be Hell's Lane. Yeah, but then you, you'd still go north from there. North yeah. from there is, is Bright Hay Farm, which we walked through. There was, there was a howitzer in... In, uh, there was a howitzer down there. <laughs> in their garden. It was very There was strange. a howitzer in their garden. Yeah. What was that about? Yeah. And then the next one along is Venn Farm. Yeah. And you walk up there, you're essentially back on the monarch's way. I think the other thing that's important to state is that the way we came, so, so we went down into the valley, we yeah. actually walked down a farm track, but we could have gone down Hell's Lane, down to the valley and then back up again. The path that you take back up feels very ancient. Yeah, It feels like an old pathway. It really does. And when he describes it, he describes the pathway as going up the hill and then disappearing yep. when you reach the ridge and then reappearing as you come down the other side. And that's exactly what this pathway did. Exactly. It, it does do that. Exactly did that. Yes, it did. And you'd be basically on what is called Coppet Hill, on the west side of Coppet Hill. Yeah. And then in terms of the farms you can see, 
On the west side, you would be looking straight down on Blackmoor Farm or Cutty Stubbs. Yeah. And uh, hello by this point to Dorset Rambler at dorsetrambler.com, who I had some correspondence with, who talked about a, a Holloway down at, down at Cutty Stubbs. He mentions it, and he, he's the expert. So that helped us sort of uh, zone in on that area, to be honest. And then on the right, there's Perkham Farm, which you can't see. When it says you can't see that, but then the cows would come up from Perkham they Farm. Would onto that field on, on the right. And, and then if you climbed up a tree from where we are here, you'd be looking precisely over. You have a masterful view over Marshwood Vale and be able to see all the comings and goings there. And if you want to find it yourself, the, the way to find it, actually, uh, is to go to Perkham Farm. There's actually a couple of spots where you could leave your car down there and you'll find the bottom of the public footpath. It's actually a bridleway. So follow that back up the hill. So you're, then you're walking southwards up the hill, up towards the sea as it were and hilariously and brilliantly and i still don't know why who did this but uh, but chapeau somebody's left a little sign in the gap in the hedge that says the holloway at both ends at both ends and you walk down through the gap in the hedge <laughs> and you're here you can't miss it you're right here it's actually signposted it's actually signposted so we're kind of <laughs> that's like that's the joke I'm slightly uh, bemused by why why there's any controversy why is there this? any controversy about this i think people have overthought it well but we were speculating that household himself actually may have just come along the monarch's way yeah from dorchester he's just walking the monarch's, monarch's way and, and this this the monarch's way runs alongside this holloway yeah right? If you were taking your fiance for a country walk, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, go, you wouldn't go off piece too far, would you? No, you'd take them on the monarch's way. Yeah. If you pardon the expression, <laughs> <laughs> it's completely. It's, it, honestly, if if you don't believe us, come down here and have a look because it's 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 absolutely right. Yeah, it really, really, it is. really works. So yeah. we've done done our job. We've dated and we've located. <laughs> what more do you want? <laughs> we're now sated. <laughs> And we've rated. The final thing about the secret Holloway that we found... Yeah. It was the horses. Because you described in the cows coming up over the ridge from yeah. an unseen well, farm one of them, pasture. That's right. Yeah. And then at the end of recording, we went up onto that ridge to just look down. And blow me if four... Yeah. Brown, ready brown horses lumbered up over the hill and came and stared at me over the fence. Well, they were very friendly, but that's exactly what the cows would have done in the book. Yeah, it's exactly what they would and they have done. came up from the farm. So yeah, yeah, it, so, really, it just worked, didn't it? Yes. You're not docking him half a point for having cows and not horses. Well, hard to hard to prove, isn't it? <laughs> hard to prove. Yeah, I tell you, you, you what, milk Jeff, a, you don't it, want to milk a horse. Well, I was going to say I'd dock him a full two points if he tried to milk a horse <laughs> rather than a cow. Idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, we need to say our thank yous. We do. First of all, we say thank you to the artist called Learning Music on the Free Music Archive for our bassy loop, our theme tune. Trebek's Lament. Trebek's Lament. Thank you very much, Learning Music. Uh, it works every time. Now, the music. We had a bit of a debate without um, going full Glenn Miller. Uh, <laughs> we had a bit of a copyright debate, didn't we? Yes, but I, I mean, I seem to remember he died in a famous. Plane I seem crash. to remember I've, he died. I've, too. I've seen the film. I I'm not sure it's the fact of him dying as so much as when he died. Exactly. Yeah. So well past the copyright, okay. the official copyright date. All right. I'd say. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sticking. To I'm it. sure you saying that in the thank you to this podcast will be more than enough for the lawyers. I'm going to say if they applied for extension, I've never heard of it. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I went to the Internet Archive, as usual, and I found all kinds of lovely Glenn Miller music, including Moonlight Serenade, Sunrise Serenade, Wham, Rebop, Boom, Bam, and In the Mood. Wham, Rebop, Boom, Bam. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. It was good. I also used Woody Herman and his orchestra, Woodchopper's Ball. And you heard Benny Goodman as well, the Benny Goodman Sextet 7 come 11. One of the first uses, by the way, of the electric guitar in, really? a, in a popular music track. So when was that? When, when do you think it was? Okay, 1939. <laughs> yeah, I realised it was a stupid question as soon as I said it. Yeah. I didn't randomly pick this music. I did try and pick music that was from the era, from right? That's what we try and do. Well, yeah. Okay? And um, the classical music that you heard was Prokofiev, Alexander Nevsky, and a little bit of Shostakovich. Mm. Now, we I need all like to... a little bit of Shostakovich. Yes. Now, I need the final thank you I do need to say is to people on, on Freesound, freesound.org. Because mm-hmm. while we did record ourselves outside, we didn't record enough outside ambient noise from the space, I felt, to make it feel truly outside. So I decided to fake it a bit. <laughs> sorry, shedding sorry, a bit of light on the magic here. Sorry, sorry, listener. Uh-huh. So I have to say thank you to Yemi Moses for the digging sound, Eleanor 1995 for the tawny owl, and I have to thank Innovating, with an eight for the eight in Innovating, for Countryside Ambience, two of those files, in fact. All the links to this wonderful stuff will be on the show notes that are available to Patreon subscribers. Mm, very good. Talking of which, yeah, we should say that for £2, you get part two of every episode early. So yeah. next week, when the new one comes out, yeah. you won't get just one podcast. You'll you get, get two. two if you put down your £2. If I get them edited in time, yeah. Yeah, oh, well, there is that, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we were a bit under the pump, aren't we? We were a little bit under the pump at the moment. <laughs> but where are we going? Well, we're heading off to the south coast again. So we're going to Ramsgate. We're doing a book about a man uh, in a hotel. We're not quite sure why he's there. There are strange people hanging about. Mm. Called waiters. He gets invited to a, a party at a house on the cliffs, and the person holding the party is murdered. It's maybe a book you've not heard of. It's a very good book, it is. which we're bringing back into the public realm, I think, into the sphere of light. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a good time. So, yeah, join us next week for Marco Bennett's The Widow of Bath. More pursuit. More, More pursuit. paranoia. More death. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.